Good morning, church. Uh, this morning we are going to be starting a new sermon uh, series. Last week we wrapped up the book of Colossians, and this week we are going to start into the book of Hebrews. And so if you guys have a Bible with you, uh, open up to the book of Hebrews. You can always grab one on the way in, back by the offering box or out in the lobby. We're going to have a few of the scriptures up on the screen, but I'd invite you to have it in front of you. Hebrews is towards the back of your Bibles, okay? It's right after Titus and Philemon, and it's just before James and First and Second Peter. And the title of this morning's sermon is God Has Spoken. God Has Spoken. Church, can we not praise God this morning that He is a God who speaks? He is a God who speaks, and since He is a God who speaks, He, he is a God who also reveals Himself to us, and He has made Himself known. Our God speaks... The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? I remember a couple of years ago when I made the transition from working in the ER to now working in an outpatient internal medicine office here in Franklin. And as I made that switch, there was a lot that I had to learn. There was a lot of things that I had forgotten since being in school where I didn't, you know, I had forgotten how to take care of certain things that, that you would do differently in an outpatient office as opposed to an ER. And I remember in that transition, I was sort of scrambling to try to read any book I could get or to listen to any lecture or talk I could get that would give me some insight into what now to do, taking care of people in an office setting. And I stumbled across a, a nephrologist uh, named Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Jason Fung. And uh, I read so, a book about his, which is pretty fascinating, how he was taking care of people with type 2 diabetes. And he was doing it, though, primarily not with medications, but with things like intermittent fasting and changing their diet and things like that. And I won't, I won't bore you with, with that stuff, okay? But as I kind of was introduced to him, I was seeing how it was not only changing my life, but changing patients' lives as well. And I got really excited about it. And so then I was like, okay, hey, I want to go find everywhere else that he has spoken, everywhere else he is, all the books he's written, all the lectures he's given, all the talks up on YouTube that he has. I want to go hear more of what this guy has to say. And maybe uh, you've had a similar experience with a certain maybe author that you've read a book of theirs that, are, that has really been good for you. And so then you want to go find all the other books that they've written. Or maybe uh, for you it's been a certain band or musician that uh, really just you love this certain album. And so you wanted to go listen to all the, all the past albums that you could find. Or maybe it was a certain podcast that you listened to and it really resonated with you. And so then you went and listened to all the past podcasts podcast episodes. Now here's the interesting thing about Christians. Uh, many of us, we got introduced to God by him speaking to us through his word in the New Testament. But many of us have no interest in going and seeing how else he has spoken to his people in the Old Testament. And uh, I oftentimes think that it, it's, because or we're either, it's because we're either too spiritually apathetic to want to go back and see how else he has spoken, or we're maybe, we're, we're kind of fearful, we're a little intimidated of diving into some of the things in the Old Testament that we find to be a little strange or foreign to us. 
Like, like I think a lot of us, I think a lot of you are probably uh, digging into the New Testament. But many of us are either too apathetic or we're too intimidated to really dig into the Old Testament and to kind of look back at these past episodes where God has spoken. And then enters the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is like, hey, what's up? I'm Hebrews. I'm a New Testament book. And I imagine, I'm kind of speculating how the book of Hebrews would sound if it was a person, okay? Uh, but he's like, hey, I'm, I'm a New Testament book. And then you get in, you start hanging out with him, and all he's doing is quoting and commenting on the Old Testament. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought I was in the New Testament. All this is Old Testament. And so what the book of Hebrews is going to do and what our study of the book of Hebrews is going to do, it's going to help us not be so intimidated to see and understand and treasure this first big chunk of our Bibles where God has spoken. And so hopefully this will be a sort of a gateway study for you to open you up to the wonders and the glories that our God is a speaking God and that he's got some really good past episodes and albums that are treasures that we need to understand and we need to discover. Our God, he still speaks to his people today through the Old Testament. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? And the subtitle of our sermon series is Jesus is Better. A lot of, a lot of pastors have kind of titled their series in Hebrews that title. That's not an original title to us. But the title is Jesus is Better. Because as we grow in a proper knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament, and as we see how Christ is the fulfillment of it, I mean, once we start to see how he's a better messenger than the prophets were, and he's the ultimate and better guardian than the angels, and he's a better leader than Moses, and he's a better general than Joshua, and he's a better priest than Aaron, and he mediates a better covenant with better promises, and he calls us to live in a better country and rise to a better life. Like when we start to see that in the book of Hebrews, when you start to see that, you will see that whatever your view of Jesus is right now, I'm telling you, it's better than that. I mean, I, I can say that with confidence. However big and great and better you think Jesus is, I'm telling you, he's better than that. He's more glorious than that. He's more wonderful than that. He's better than we imagined that he could be. And I stand every morning intimidated to come in because I know that I'm trying to articulate and talk of a treasure and a glory that is even beyond my comprehension. He's better than how we see him right now. Now this morning, we're not going to get too far into the book of Hebrews, okay? Because I first need to give some introductory teaching before we really start into it. And so today is going to feel a bit more like a classroom than, uh, than uh, preaching from a pulpit. Uh, but I think on occasion that is okay, and on occasion that is necessary, especially as we start into a new book of the Bible that we are uh, going to be starting into and going to be in for, for uh, a few months. So before uh, I pick up, though, a book, right, uh, before I, I'm, if I'm in a bookstore and I'm picking up a book, um, 
And I don't, who am I kidding? When I'm on Amazon and I'm looking for a book, uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know why I even went there. Yeah, when I'm on Amazon looking at a book, I'll scroll to the bottom and I'll see what other people are saying about this book, right? Like I want to see kind of what are some other people's thoughts on this book. We obviously know the book of Hebrews is in the Bible, so that speaks to what church history and our early church fathers thought of this book. But uh, who else has some comments on the book of Hebrews? Well, R.C. Sproul, uh, who is now with the Lord, he once said this. He said, if I were cast into prison and allowed but one book, it would be the Bible, which is a good, that's a good pick, especially if you're a Christian or a pastor, that's a good pick. But then he says, if I were allowed only one book of the Bible, it would be the epistle to the Hebrews. That's what R.C. Sproul said. He treasured this book. A.M. Hodgkin, a pastor, theologian, he writes, the glories of our Savior are exhibited in this epistle. It is one of the most precious books in the Bible. It has been called the fifth gospel. Four describe Christ's ministry on earth. This describes his ministry in heaven. And that's pretty, that's a pretty cool thought to think about, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describing Christ's ministry here on earth, things that we could see, feel, and touch. But now Hebrews... Hebrews enters, and here's some more gospel. Here's some more good news about Christ, but this is more focusing on what he's doing in the heavenly places, maybe the places that we can't see, feel, or touch. So pretty cool, pretty cool. I'm excited to jump into Hebrews. Um, Are you guys ready? Hebrews, okay, all right. Well, first of all, let's start uh, with who wrote the book. And uh, I don't know why I'm starting with difficult questions. Uh, I should have given myself some warm-up questions, but that's a good question, all right? Who wrote Hebrews? And what I know is that I can confidently say the author of Hebrews is maybe Paul, with an emphasis on the maybe, okay? Uh, at the end of the day, we don't know, all right? We don't know. Um, there's some uh, uh, disputes amongst theologians as to who actually wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, but a lot of the early church fathers did believe that Paul was the author. Now, the pushback to Paul being the author is that the original Greek of this uh of this book is written in a very eloquent, fancy Greek um, that was not the way that Paul's other letters were written. And so people that believe Paul wrote the book uh, would kind of give the counter argument that that likely Paul had written this either in Hebrew or he had given this as a series of sermons or lectures and someone else then had transcribed this into Greek. Okay, so maybe someone like Luke, uh, you know, heard this teaching or, or read uh, a Paul's version of this that was written in Hebrew, and he then translated it into more of his fancy, eloquent Greek. Okay, um, so that's one thought. Other people think maybe Barnabas is the author. Uh, Martin Luther suggests Apollos is the author. Um, others have suggested Silas or Epaphras or Philip. Um, at the end of the day, we don't know. Okay, if I had to bet money on who was the author, right? Like if you find yourself in that situation where you're forced to bet money, which would be a weird situation for you to be in for lots of reasons. But if you were, I would say I would bet money it was on Paul with someone else transcribing or writing it, uh, maybe Luke writing it in Greek. Okay, but at the end of the day, we don't know. This is what we do know. Okay, we know that the early church viewed the book of Hebrews as inspired scripture. Meaning that, yes, it was penned by a human author that we might debate on who that was, but this was breathed out by God, 
All right, this is inspired scripture that goes in line with the rest of the canon, the rest of God's inspired word. And so we should receive this as words from God that were either written or spoken by someone. Again, many people think that Hebrews isn't really a letter, more as a, a, a series of sermons. Uh, but this is inspired, uh, inspired scripture from God. Now, who, who was the book written to? And here's where I'll, I'll give you guys maybe a little bit easier of a question, okay? The book of Hebrews was written to the... The, the book of Hebrews was written to, yes, Christians. That's right. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who many had a Jewish background. I sort of set you guys up because it's fun when you're the only one with a microphone on, okay? Uh, okay, so listen, uh, a book about the supremacy of Christ would not have uh, gone, very, gone over very well in the synagogue, okay? This, le- this book is written to Christians who, yes, many of them likely had a Jewish background, and at the very least, they were, they were well-versed with the Old Testament or the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But there were very many, there were a lot of even Gentiles, non-Jewish people that were well-versed in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But we do know, yes, this, this, this book was written to Christians. Many had a Jewish background. But don't think for an instant that this book is just for Jewish people. Okay, and that's mainly my point is that when you open up a book and it says the letter to the Hebrews, I think a lot of us as Christians can say, well, I I don't know if this is really for me. Right. Like maybe this is someone else needs to be looking at this. But listen, this is written to uh, a congregation of Christians, many who had a Jewish background, because that is what the early church was made up of. Right. Many had a Jewish background. And then also know that like when you see this title, the letter to the Hebrews, As with all titles of books of the Bible, this is not inspired text, okay? But titles of the Bible were added later by editors and and scribes. And so even this title, Hebrews, wasn't added until the end of the second century. So don't let the title dissuade you from thinking that this isn't for you. Okay, for we know even what Paul writes to Galatians in the Galatians uh, 3 verse 7. He writes, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham right? We have been grafted into the people of God by faith. If you grew up in church, you know that Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, right? Okay, no, we won't do that. We won't do that. All right, but this was written to a group of Christians, many with a Jewish background, or at the very least, many who were who knew their Old Testament very, very well. Okay, and uh, this group of people, this was possibly a house church in Rome. Okay, we don't know for sure where the location was, but people think that this was likely a house church in Rome, or uh, or a network of houses of house churches in Rome. And the reason that we think that some people think that is from Hebrews thirteen twenty four. Uh, when the author writes, and, and no, I'm sometimes going to say the author, I'm sometimes going to say Paul, because we just came out of Colossians, and it just flows. So just know the author, or maybe Paul. Uh, he writes in Hebrews 13, 24, he writes, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Right? So this is a little bit of a hint as to the location of either where this is going or where it's coming from. 
right? It's, he's essentially saying all the, all the Codespotes send their greetings back to Italy, right? All, all the fellow Italians from Rome were sending this greeting back to you. Uh, okay, so this was maybe a house church in Rome, a network of house churches in Rome of Christians with a lot of, with a past history uh, uh, being uh, a lot of Christians who had a past history of being Jewish, right? And this book was most likely written probably in the mid to early uh, 60s. Uh, we know that it was likely written before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, but it was also written after some persecution had started to come upon believers uh, in Rome and around Rome. And so what we know from the book is that uh, our author is writing to a group of Christians that have experienced already some persecution, and this, the author is now trying to get them ready to handle some more. And, and our author then is warning them and strongly encouraging them not to turn back to Judaism, but instead to maintain their confession of faith in Christ. Now, this is where we kind of have to put ourselves in this situation to try to understand what was going on, okay? It was really difficult for Christians in the first century. Rome, for the most part, acknowledged Judaism um, and didn't have too much beef with Judaism until God used them to destroy the temple eventually. Uh, but Christians, Christians were more and more increasingly persecuted uh, by both Rome and by uh, uh, those in Judaism. And therefore, Christians were tempted by experiencing this persecution and hardship from all around. They were tempted to turn back to believe what they had believed before, either in Judaism or whether it was another Gentile pagan belief system. And so that's the scene that is being set, okay? These believers have experienced some hardship and trials, and now they're being tempted to think, like, is Jesus really better? <laughs> did, did we maybe mishear God on this when we heard the apostles preaching? Did we maybe really kind of mishear when we heard that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, is he really better? And this, this group of believers might have been tempted to think, hey, it doesn't seem like my life really got better when I started following Jesus. In fact, my life has gotten much more difficult when I started following Jesus. And so right now, these, this group is, is tempted to think, maybe I should just turn back. Maybe I should just go make you know, some sacrifices in the temple. Maybe I should just kind of join my family and friends with what I used to believe. Maybe I should just go back to how it was before. And our author is trying to encourage them and warn them to press on in their faith in Christ. And so maybe you're sitting there right now, you know, as we get into this book of Hebrews and you're like, yeah, Grant, uh, I don't know how this is going to be applicable to me because I've never been tempted to return to the temple. Uh, so how is this going to, you know, really apply uh, to me? And that's a good question. That's a good thought. You guys, are all, you guys are asking some good questions today. I like that. But I mean, think about it. This group of believers was feeling some fatigue, Right? some fatigue and getting tired of being the outcast in society. The Romans persecuted them. The Jews persecuted them. Shoot, maybe we should just kind of forget this whole Jesus thing and just pick a side. And so what many Christians started to do in this time 
was out of fear of the Romans and out of fear of the Jews, they stopped going to regular Christian gatherings, which they're going to get called out on later in Hebrews. Uh, and they stopped going to regular Christian gatherings, and they started to grow spiritually apathetic in their faith. They started returning to their past belief system. Some of them started following new kind of novel teachings that were anti-gospel. And some, we will see, will even commit apostasy and walk away from the faith forever. And so, church, I, th I think we can find some application points here for us. And so let's, for a brief moment, d d uh, try to kind of talk through what spiritual apathy looks like. Because that's, that's a problem that was a problem for them that we're going to see in Hebrews, and I certainly believe it's a problem for us as well. We are spiritually apathetic. And so let's do a little spiritual self-assessment and take a little self-inventory here. You might be spiritually apathetic if you've stopped listening closely and intently to God's Word. You might be spiritually apathetic if you've stopped listening closely and intently to God's Word. Because what we're going to see in a few weeks, Hebrews 2, verse 1, he's going to say, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Is, is our attention on what God has spoken to us? Are we listening intently? Or are we becoming spiritually apathetic and at risk of drifting away? One thing that spiritual apathy might look like, you're not listening closely to how God has spoken. You also might be spiritually apathetic if you can't handle or digest God's word or if you lack discernment in deciphering between good and evil. What else we're going to see in Hebrews? Hebrews 5 verses 12 through 14, he's going to tell them, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, right? This is describing someone who's malnourished, has not been handling the word of God rightly. And then verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Some of you in your spiritual apathy have a hard time seeing and deciphering what is happening around you and discerning what is good and what is evil. Even what is better and what is best because you are malnourished from eating off of the kids' menu. You know intellectually that Jesus is better than anything or anyone else, but you don't live like he is because you're unable to discern between good and evil, what is okay and what is best. How will you ever be able to discern that Jesus is better if your life is like that Lego movie song, right? That everything is awesome. And I apologize for those that now that song will be stuck in your head the rest of the day. But, <laughs> but listen, to be able to say that Jesus is better, that's going to take powers of discernment. 
which are not strong in spiritually apathetic and malnourished people. If you haven't been listening to God speak, and you won't have the energy that you need to discern. Well, you also might be spiritually apathetic if your worship is weak. And we're going to see this in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, where he writes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Sure, you might come to worship, but if you're just going through the motions, if you're just here to appease your spouse or a friend or to just see your friends, listen, that is weak worship. And it probably stems from your spiritual apathy, which comes from you not listening to how God has spoken. And so what, the, what Hebrews does is it teaches us the supremacy of Christ, and then it gives warning after warning to a group of believers who are spiritually apathetic, who are fearful of the future, who are fatigued from being cultural outcasts, and who are in danger of walking away from Christ altogether. So I think we'll be able to pull some application points from this, Okay. I think, I think as American Christians in 2020, I think we'll be able to see how this applies. We who are spiritually apathetic, we who need to pay closer attention to what God has spoken, we who need to be able to discern between good and evil, we who our worship is often weak, we who are fearful of the future, we who are fatigued of being cultural outcasts, and we who are in danger of walking away from Christ altogether, we will see Hebrews, and it will be very applicable to us. And so we're going to get warning after warning in this book of Hebrews. Which, which, listen, this will be a growing experience for me, because I, I don't love to give strong warnings but God's word will require it of me as we go through this to give you strong warning after strong warning. But listen, we, we become spiritually apathetic. We become fearful. We become fatigued from being outcast. We are in danger of walking away from Christ altogether when we stop listening to the story of God that we are a part of. Um, so at, at, at bedtime, uh, with the boys, we typically are either reading them stories or we are telling them stories, okay? And uh, it sometimes just depends on how much energy I have. And uh, I'll be the first to admit my creative juices are not, are not at all-time high come bedtime. And so we end up reading more stories than me telling stories. But boys, I think we need a good uh, story uh, telling time tonight, okay? Um, and so one thing that we do when we tell stories is we'll kind of sit in, in a bed together around like this little lantern and I'll start a story and then I'll pass it on to the next boy to continue the story. And so he'll kind of pick up where I left off and then he'll tell a part of the story and then it goes on to the next person and the next person and the next person. And... Uh, you know, telling stories that way, it can do a few things. You don't really know where it's going to end up, right? 
And so I can sometimes even become a little apathetic in that type of storytelling because I know I'm going to try to direct it in one direction, uh, but then I know the boys are going to take it their own way, right? So like what's even the point of really investing and caring about how to set up this story with a good plot line? I can become apathetic in a story like that. I can also become fearful in a story like that because I have no idea where this thing's going. And this could, I mean, you know, my boys, they're very, uh, they've got a lot of creativity, a good imagination, which is great, but I have no idea where this thing is going to end up. Church, take heart. That is not how God tells stories. But when we listen to the stories from the news, or when we listen to the story from ourselves, We can become fearful. We can become apathetic at times because it sounds like that's how the story is getting played out. But that's not how God tells stories. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, God's word says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God's not into the telling of stories where he goes around the room and calls on different people or countries or kingdoms to contribute their part of the story. And praise God, that's not how he tells his story of redemptive plan, right? He's not going around and saying, okay, okay, uh, North Korea, kind of what's, what's your part of the story now? And America, what's, what's, what are, what's your part of the story? And Republicans and Democrats, what are, what's your guys' part of the story? That's not how God tells the story of redemptive history, okay? Alexander the Great conquers the known world so that there would be a common Greek language which would make it easier for God's word to be understood. Rome rises to power and builds roadways so that God's word can spread. Persecution comes upon Christians and makes them flee and become refugees so that the word would produce fruit to the ends of the earth. I remember we had uh, friends who were missionaries in, in Greece uh, during the Syrian refugee crisis. And, uh, and they told us that was not what they called it. They didn't view it as the Syrian refugee crisis. Here they were in Greece praying that the gospel would go forth to these places that they couldn't get into. And then God brought people in boats to their shores who heard the gospel and who gave their life to Christ. It wasn't a crisis. It was the Great Commission being carried out. This is how our God tells stories. But you see, it's when we start viewing ourselves as the main character of the story of life, that is when we stop listening to our God who is speaking a greater story. And the truth is that we have been invited to have our names written into the story of God. So we also have uh, books that we read at bedtime. Right, and one of the books, uh, it's, I think it's a to- it's a Toy Story book where you can order it and put the boys' names, like have it written into the book, which is sort of fun, right? You're going about reading about Buzz and Woody and, and these things, and then and then there are the boys' names. They've been written into this book, but you know where this book's going, you know how it's going to end. 
And it certainly doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility to play the part that God would have us to play, but it does mean that we don't need to be fearful about where this story is ending up. And we don't need to be apathetic as if that, you know, our part of this isn't going to have an effect. No, but instead we should have a joyful zeal and we should have a courage to be written into the story of God and God's story of redemptive history. And God's story, listen, did not start when Jesus showed up in Bethlehem. That's not when it started. The story did not start even when he rose from the dead. The story did not start when you repented of your sin and you trusted in Jesus for your salvation. The story did not start when we started gathering as a church three years ago. The story started when God spoke. That's when the story started. When God spoke spoke. Genesis 1 verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Look at Hebrews 1, all right? Hebrews 1, here we go. Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right, this, this starts as any good story does, right? Long, long ago. Not in a galaxy far away, but, but here, right? Long ago, God spoke. Now, first notice that God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets, okay? So he has spoken through the prophets. When we read Hebrews and when we say that Jesus is better, we are not saying that we should then throw out the Old Testament. Not at all. Not at all. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, God spoke by the prophets. And so if you like what you've been hearing in the New Testament, hey, God has been speaking for a long time. Like it, and it didn't take him a few thousand years to kind of figure out and get the good stuff. Right? He's been speaking the good stuff for a long time. And you should listen to some of these past episodes if you want to hear and to know more about this great God that we have. He certainly did speak through the prophets. But what we'll see next week, all right, and this is where we're going next week, is that Jesus is superior to the prophets. That he is the full and complete and perfect revelation of God. And next week we're going to look at the seven ways that verses 2 through 3 say that he is superior to the prophets. So that's, that's next week. We're going to save that for next week. But for today, church, our God has spoken. Are we listening? And here's a beautiful truth. Because he is a speaking God, he is a knowable God. Because he is a speaking God, he is a knowable God. He can be known. Maybe never fully comprehended, maybe never fully understood, but he can be known because he has revealed himself to us by his word. And God's revealing of himself, it has been through what theologians put into two categories called general and special revelation. All right, general revelation is what Psalm 19 and Romans 1 are talking about. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Like, like go outside and stare at creation and tell me that there isn't a creator. I mean, most, most atheists that I've talked to and that I've, I've befriended and we've gotten to know one another, like when we get to the heart of it, it's not so much they don't believe there is a God. It's not so much they don't believe that there is an intelligent designer or a creator. It's really more that they just hate the idea of a God. Kepler, who was the founder of modern astronomy, said the undevout astronomer is mad. God has revealed himself through creation. And God speaks of his glory and his eternal power and his divine nature. And God speaks to us through these things and reveals himself to us in these things. God speaks through his creation. Are we listening? Are we going outside and, and just marveling at his creation? in the greatness of the sky or going to the ocean or seeing mountains or, or uh, even looking in the details of things as, as bugs and plants and all these things around us are just so intricately designed. Are we marveling at his creation? I used to say at, at Cedarville, I was taking both biology and Bible classes, and, and I felt like even my, bi I thought, felt that my bi biology classes stirred my heart to worship sometimes more than even my Bible classes did. But not only does God reveal himself through general revelation, God also speaks to us through what is called special revelation. Special revelation is God's disclosure of himself to particular people at particular times and in particular places. And we've seen here in Hebrews verse 1, right, that in many times and in various ways, God has spoken to his people. We know reading through the Old Testament, God has spoken through dreams and visions, through audible words, through messages delivered by angels, through the, the prophets, through his inspired written word. But it all comes to a glorious and final conclusion through Jesus, the word of God who put on flesh. This Jesus is our, he, he gets the final word, right? Like if you think about maybe a, a meeting that you have at your job or even a, a city group that you go to, like typically isn't, the, isn't it the boss or the leader uh, that gets the final word of the meeting, right? God has spoken to us in many different ways, but he saved the best for last and he has given Jesus the final word. This is it. Jesus is the final word. So therefore, we should not be looking for another prophet. We should not be looking for another priest. We should not be looking for another king after him, right? No prophet who, uh, Muhammad, no, no Joseph Smith, right? Like not, nothing should be adding an additional word to Jesus. Jesus was the final word. Jesus is the final fulfillment of all the ways that God has spoken to us. 
so that in Jesus we might finally and fully know the way of salvation and know how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. But church, many of us in our spiritual apathy, we live like agnostics. Like we live as if God can't be known. When we, we're doing this, when we neglect how God has revealed himself to us through his word, through his creation, when we do this, when we neglect it, when we're not listening, when we're not paying close attention to it, we are living as if we think God is not knowable. And yet here God tells us that he is a God who speaks. He is a God who reveals himself to us through his creation, through his inspired word in both the Old and New Testament, and through Jesus, the Son of God, the word who became flesh, who is the fulfillment and the conclusion of the redemptive story that God was always building towards. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. We just are largely unaware of all the promises of God. Church, our God speaks. Are we listening? And my prayer is that, that we would leave this place this morning with a renewed commitment to listen to how God has spoken. And as we do that, I believe that we will grow in a knowledge of him and find that Jesus is bigger and better than we ever thought he was. In C.S. Lewis's uh, Prince Caspian, Lucy rushes over to Aslan after not seeing him or hearing from him for a time, and she buries her face in his big, rich, uh, silky mane, and she gazes up at him, and Lucy said, Aslan, you're bigger! And Aslan replies, that is because you are older, little one. And Lucy says, not because you are? And Aslan then says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And church, that's my prayer for us this morning is that, and the rest of these next few months, is that as we study Hebrews together, both in here on Sunday mornings and in our city groups midweek, my prayer is that we would be awakened from our spiritual apathy and that our fear of the future would turn to courage and that our fatigue would find rest and that we would follow after Jesus all the days of our life and not drift away from him, listening to him as he has spoken to us and revealed himself to us in both the Old and New Testament. And church, as we grow in our ability to listen and to know him more, then we will be enthralled and surprised by the fact that he is more glorious than we ever imagined he could be. And just like Lucy, every year that we listen and grow, we will find Jesus bigger and better. So let's pray.